so good to see you all here this morning. You guys are the ones that uh, decided to come later after uh, daylight savings time, right? <laughs> Maybe some of you are here for the first service, but you just ended up coming for the second service inadvertently. So, well, hey, it's great to be with you guys. I just got back from a uh, ministry trip to India, uh, which is why I'm so fat right now. <laughs> uh, it's, uh, National Geographic rates Chennai, India as uh, as the second best place in the world to eat. All right. And uh, and Indian food is like my favorite food in the whole world. So uh, so I, I just took full advantage of it while I was there. Uh, I also uh, picked up something on the plane ride home and the, the, the Petri dish that is the, the, the airplane, right? And so I'm just glad that I can talk to you today because I was, was struggling uh, very much earlier in the week. Um, hey, how many of you have ever heard of the phrase, a, a game changer? Game changer, you guys have heard that, right? You know, you kind of understand, you know, what it, what it means. Merriam-Webster online describes a game changer as a, a newly introduced element or factor that changes an existing situation or activity in a significant way. A newly introduced element or factor that changes an existing situation or activity in a significant way. So game changers come in all sorts of shapes and sizes. When Apple introduced uh, the iPod, that was a game changer. That Changed the way we, you know, consume our, our media and our music and stuff like that. I mean, how many people still buy CDs? Nah, that's so 010, you know, right? You know, it's all downloaded now. I mean, vinyl is retro. That's, that's cool. But I mean, who buy, really buys CDs anymore? It's all, you know, electronically right there. Uh, this guy, this next guy, he, he's a game changer. Who's this? Giannis. All right. Anybody, does anyone know how to pronounce his last name? Very nice. Very nice. Okay. We'll pray for that man. Uh, no, yeah, Giannis is a game changer for the Bucks. He became the youngest uh, Bucks to ever score, uh, you know, a triple-double in his life. This, uh, this year he scored his first triple-double for the season on February 15th, and he be- that became his ninth overall triple-double. Triple-double is when you score double points in three out of the five statistical areas in, in basketball, whether it's rebounds or points blocks or, you know, assists, anything like that. And so, uh, so he passed up Kareem Abdul-Jabbar as having the most triple doubles in Bucks history. Last year, last season, he led the Bucks in every single conceivable statistical area. Okay. He, he led them all points, assists, rebounds, you know, blocks. He, he led them all. It's, he's a game changer for the Milwaukee Bucks. Some of you say, Amen. You know, so um, laws, laws can be game changers as well. In, in 1978, uh, Jimmy Carter signed into law the Home Brewing Act of 1978. And that made it possible for dudes all across America to brew their own beer the way it was meant to be brewed, like they do in Germany or Belgium. In their own basements or in their own homes. And, uh, and it freed us from the tyranny of Coors Light, Bud Light, and Miller Light. Right? <laughs> and, and all over the country, brew pubs and microbreweries sprung up all over the place. And you go down to Riverside Brewery today, that's a result 
of the Home Brewery Act of 1978. I'm not saying it's right or wrong, folks. I'm just saying it's a, it's a game changer, right? That was a, that was a game changer. Changed the way the game uh, was played. Now, I just made Jimmy Carter some of you guys' favorite president. <laughs> right now, okay, right? Game changer. The Old Testament is, is full of game changers as well. You have, you have one moment, you have a nation that's enslaved by the Egyptians, and, and the next moment they've been freed from their captivity to become the unique nation set apart for God and for His purposes. You have, uh, you have the nation of Israel cowering in fear at their enemy, the Philistines, at this huge giant that's out on the battlefield, and all of a sudden a 12-year-old boy steps up and says, I'll, I'll fight him, and kills the giant with the stone and ultimately becomes king, uniting the 12 tribes. That's a game changer. Game changer. You have, uh, you have all of, of, of the Jewish race facing certain extinction when a young Jewish queen, Queen Esther, steps up to the plate and advocates on behalf of her own people, saving her people from certain death. That's a game changer. In the New Testament, we have a significant game changer. You know, game changer that would go when, when all hope seems lost and the next is pregnant with possibilities and, and potential and opportunities and stuff like that. In the New Testament, one of the biggest game changers, the, one of the most profound game changers you're ever going to come across in the Christian life is the indwelling Holy Spirit in the Christian's life. And the biggest game changers that you're ever going to come across in the Christian life is, is the indwelling Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God coming to live in the life of a believer. Now, you may re- recall in, in John chapter 14, John chapter 16, uh, Jesus was promising the Holy Spirit to his followers on the evening before he's to go to the cross. He's saying, it's, it's good that I go away for you now, because unless I go away, I'm not able, going to be able to send the counselor to you. And, and the counselor, the Holy Spirit, he's going to remind you of everything that I said to you. Okay, He's going to convict the world of sin, and, and he's going to actually come and dwell and live inside of you. Okay, so this is the, the promise of the Holy Spirit. Now, this is, is kind of sets the context for what we're going to read today in Romans chapter 8. If you want to turn to your Bibles, you'll find Romans chapter 8 on page 800 of, of your Bibles. And uh, this is extremely important to understand because where we pick up in Romans today is where Stuart Briscoe left off two weeks ago at the end of Romans chapter 7. The second half of Romans chapter 7 explains in great detail... The struggle that a follower of Jesus Christ has in relation to the law of God. You know, the the law of God being the moral law of God, which is summarized by the, the Ten Commandments. We understand and agree that the law is good and right and proper and it reflects the character of God. But yet we have find this tendency, this proclivity inside of us to not be able to do the things that the law requires us to do. Okay? And, and Paul says this in Romans chapter 7, verse 14 and 19. He says, We know that the law is spiritual, but I'm unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin. I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, that I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is no longer I myself 
who, who do it. I myself would do it. But it is sin living in me. I know that nothing good lives in me. That is in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. Does, has anyone ever felt that way in their life? Okay? Has anyone ever, ever had that experience where it's like, you know, I, I want to be better, a better person. I want to do and fulfill the law, but I just, I just can't seem to, to do it. There's this, this, this dynamic inside of me that's working against the very things that I know is good and right and proper. And Paul ends chapter 7 by, by basically crying out in despair and saying this. He says, what a wretched man that I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death? In essence, who's going to rescue me from this endless cycle of continually failing to keep the moral law of God? And what Paul needs now more than anything is a game changer. He needs a game changer. Who's going to rescue me? From this, this wretched man that I am. Enter Romans chapter 8. Paul goes three distinct chunks here. Talks about this game changer in the Holy Spirit. He begins by reminding of our standing before God. He begins in verse 8. He says, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. So I'm just going to stop right there. He begins by saying, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There's basically two types of people, what Paul is talking about there. He's talking about our justification. If you were to read Romans chapters 1 through 6... Paul goes into great lengths, goes to great lengths to talk about justification, this whole idea of being made right before God. This is a legal turn. This, this idea of no condemnation is a legal turn. And in the great eternal celestial courtroom of God, where God and God alone is judge uh, and jury, he declares us not guilty. That is justification, or we're justified. A, good way to remember justified is that God looks at us just as if I'd never sinned. We're justified. Everything that we've done against the holy God is now abolished. It's wiped out. That is good news for, for all of us. And we, he declares us not guilty. And he says, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Okay, so God moves us from being under condemnation because of our sin and places us in Christ Jesus. Okay, and, that's, and those are two distinct, very different points. The only question that we might ask ourselves is, how does someone get to be in Christ Jesus? How do you move from being under condemnation by God to being in Christ and having all of your sins Forgiven. Now, Paul has gone through great pains to make it exceedingly clear that one gets to be in Christ through faith in him. He says in Romans chapter 3, verse 21 through 24, he says this, But now a righteousness from God or a right standing with God apart from the law, okay, apart from trying to uphold the law, be good enough, be right enough, you know, go to church enough, 
apart from law, has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness from God comes through what? Faith. Through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference for all of sin and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that comes in Christ Jesus. Paul is very clear here that we go from being under condemnation by God to being in Christ when we place our full faith and confidence in Jesus. Essentially when we look at the cross and say, that was for me. And at the cross, and at the cross alone, in Jesus Christ, God condemned my sin in Jesus Christ, and he gives me his righteousness. This is also true. This whole idea of faith comes in Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 2. It says, therefore, since we have been justified, okay, God looks at us just as if I'd never sinned, justified through faith, there it is, faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. This is how it all happens. The minute a person places their full faith and confidence in Jesus Christ, God takes us from being under condemnation because of our sin to being in Christ and having all of our sins that were against us forgiven in one fell swoop. And that may beg the question for many of us here today is have we at any point in our life turned from our sin, turned from trusting in ourselves, from trust, in trusting in our own righteousness and understood that we cannot be good enough to please God and turned to faith in Jesus Christ and said in Jesus Christ and in the cross and cross alone, The righteous requirements of the law were kept. Jesus fully kept the law. And all of my sin, all of my junk, all of my garbage was placed on Jesus. And there and there alone, God condemned my sin in Jesus so that I would then gain Christ's righteousness. It's essentially like like we go up to the cross of Jesus Christ and we take off all of our filthy rags, all of our dirt, all of our grime, all of our sinful acts, and we give them to Jesus. And God then gives to us Christ's righteousness. Now, is that a good deal or what? That is a great deal. In fact, he goes on to explain this in verses 3 and 4. He says, for what the law was powerless to do, it couldn't make us right with God, and that it was weakened by the sinful nature. God did by sending his own son, Jesus, in the likeness of sinful man, he was a fully man, to be a sin offering. And so, in, in Christ, he condemned sin in sinful man in order that the righteous requirements of the law, that is, all of Jesus' righteousness law, might be fully met in us. That is what happens when a person places their full faith and confidence in Jesus Christ. It has absolutely nothing to do with being good enough, folks. It has everything to do with where have we placed our faith. A good kind of litmus test or diagnostic for, you know, where you're at in this whole thing is is to ask yourself a question. If you were to die today, stand before God, and who were to ask you the question, why why do you think I should let you into eternity? Okay. 
If you answer anything other than the fact that because Jesus died for me and all of my sin was laid on him and you condemned my sin in Jesus Christ so that I might have the full requirements of law met in me, Jesus' righteousness met in me. I'm clothed not in my righteousness, but Jesus' righteousness. If your answer is something like, well, because I never killed anybody, okay, because I'm better than my neighbor down the street, do you know what she does? If you're like, if your answer is because I've gone to church all my life, you're trusting in the wrong thing. It's only because of Christ and his death on the cross, we believe in that through faith, and God gives to us his, his righteousness. That's, that's a good deal, folks. That's a game changer right there. And he, say, he, and he ends by saying, might be fully met in us who do not live according to the sinful nature, but according to the spirit, okay? And then in verses 5 to 8, he begins to compare and contrast these two completely different kinds of people. Paul draws a sharp distinction here between people that he described in verse 1 as being under condemnation and those being in Christ. Now he says, if you're still under condemnation, you have not yet been justified, you have not yet been declared not guilty, and you have not been set free from the law of sin and death. You are still living according to this sinful nature, he says, for those of us who do not live according to the sinful nature, but according to the Spirit. And he says, and he goes on to say, to those, verse 5, those who live according to the sinful nature have their minds set on what that nature desires, Okay? Which begs the question that some of you may, may be asking, what exactly is the sinful nature? Well, it might help some of you to know that, that the word sinful nature actually isn't found in the original Greek of the Bible. It's the Greek word sarx, which is the same word as flesh or the flesh. So doesn't that clear it up for all of you, right? Okay, it's like, what does that mean? Okay. The flesh or the sinful nature is that part of us that belongs to this fallen world, okay? All of us were born into sin. We are born into this fallen world. We still have these bodies that bear the marks of sin, that have this tendency, this proclivity to rebel against the law of God. And we're always going to have these bodies until we die and go to be with him in heaven, okay? And what Paul says the flesh is, is that part of us that is, is, is this, this fleshly body that has this tendency and proclivity towards sin that cannot do what God designed it to do. It's almost like this flashlight right here. This is a really cool flashlight made out of... An aircraft grade aluminum, all right? You know, it can survive a drop and it's got a clip and you can do all this cool stuff. But there's one thing that's wrong with this flashlight it's got no batteries. It's not no, it's got no batteries. Without the batteries in it, this flashlight is just metal. It's the flesh. It's like a human being. Without the indwelling spirit of God. It was designed for something. It was intended for something. But it cannot do the very thing that it was designed to do. Because it doesn't have any power source that allows it to do it. It just continues to contribute to the darkness all around it. It doesn't shine 
any light at, at, at all. And Paul, in, in this part, in this portion of Scripture, here right here, he goes into great pains to describing what the life without the Spirit is like. He says, the mind of the sinful man is death, but the mind controlled by the Spirit is life and peace. The sinful mind is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Do so. Those controlled by this sinful nature cannot please God. Okay, that's all with the sinful nature. I want to read it again on the ESV. I think we have it up there on the screen. This is the ESV, which is kind of a more uh, literal translation. And they use the word flesh. For, the, uh, for those who live according to the flesh, set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit, set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh, or this body that's part of this broken system, is death. But to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Those who are only in the flesh cannot please God. This sinful mind or the mindset of the flesh, it's, Paul takes great pains to describe this phrase. It results in death. Verse 6, it's hostile to God. Verse 7, it does not submit to God's law. Verse 7, it can't even do so. And it cannot please God. Okay. Just like this flashlight. And what this person needs is a game changer. (laughs) Is a game changer. Enter verse 9. He says, you, however, are controlled not by the sinful nature or the flesh, but by the spirit. If The Spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Christ. This is a game changer. When a person places his his or her faith in Jesus Christ, not only are they justified, not only are they declared not guilty, not only are they taken from being under condemnation to being in Christ, but not only are they set free from this law of sin and death, but they're also indwelt by the Holy Spirit. Of God, Jesus himself comes to live inside of them. He says, you, however, are controlled not by the sinful nature, but by the spirit. If the spirit of God lives in you. Okay. And then uh, and, and all of this happens at this point of faith and belief. In Ephesians 1.13, Paul is very clear about the fact that we receive the Holy Spirit into our life at the point of belief. He says, and you also were included In Christ, there's that word again, in Christ, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having believed, okay, having believed the gospel, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. So all of this stuff happens at a moment in time when a person places their faith in Christ. We go from being under condemnation to being in Christ, we go from having none of our sins forgiven to having all of our sins forgiven. We go from living completely in the flesh to having the Spirit of God coming and living and dwelling inside of us. Those are the only two kinds of people you will find in the world. There's no in-between. There's no 50%. God doesn't come into your life and forgive 70% of your sins. Or 75% of your sins. It's either 100% or nothing. You either have the Holy Spirit or you don't. And Paul even goes on to say, in, at the end of verse 9 here, he says, he says, And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, 
He does not belong to Christ. This is the most basic and fundamental definition of what it means to be a Christian. All right? We don't use that word Christian too much here at Kettlebrick because Christian means everything to everyone, right? You know, I was born in America, and of course I'm a Christian. What do you think? I was a Muslim? You know, I mean, it's like everyone's a Christian, so nobody's a Christian. When the Bible uses the word Christian or believer or disciple or regenerate person or someone who is born again, they're all describing the same person. And the very basic definition is right here in verse 9. He says, and if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Christ. The very basic definition of a Christian is someone who has the spirit of Christ living in them. That's a very basic foundational definition of what it means. Do you, do you have the spirit living inside of you? You either do or you don't. You are either born again or you're not. You're either regenerated by God and, and had given Christ righteousness or you are not. And so, again, you may ask yourself the question, have I ever reached that point in my life where I have surrendered my life to Jesus? Ask him to come in and forgive me of my sins and indwell me by his Holy Spirit. And, and if you do, if you do do that, he'll do exactly as he promised. He moves you from being under condemnation to being in Christ to having none of your sins forgiven, to all of them forgiven, to giving you Christ's righteousness and dwell, indwelling you with the Holy Spirit. And that is, beyond the shadow of a doubt, a game changer for all of us. Okay? It's as, it's, it's as, much, it's as much of a game changer as when I put these batteries into this flashlight. Okay? Before, this thing could not have any hope of doing what it's designed to do. But once the batteries are in it, hey, that's a bright flashlight, right? You know, then it could do what it was designed to do. You know, that's what happens when the Holy Spirit comes in to a person's life. Before they were, they did not have the power of God inside of them. All of a sudden, everything changes. They are now empowered by the Holy Spirit. And he begins to bring forth the fruits of the Spirit that are described in Galatians chapter 5. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. We begin to do what Paul describes later on in this chapter. We begin to put to death the misdeeds of the body, those things that we don't want to do. The Holy Spirit helps us to put those things to death and say no to them. The Holy Spirit reminds us of who we are, like we talked about last week, that we are sons and daughter of our Heavenly Father. The Holy Spirit does all that. But we can't do any of that without the Holy Spirit living inside of us. If we try to do those things, if we just try to be a better person, if we just try to demonstrate love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and self-control, you know what? We're going to get frustrated. (laughs) And we're going to give up. This was driven home to me a few uh, months ago when I was doing all, some of the aerobic activity that I love to do, running and biking and stuff like that. And I realized that I couldn't catch my breath, that I, I wasn't able to, to do it. I just saw that the times on my running, you know, just go up and up and up and up and up. And pretty soon I was just kind of shuffling along and you know, I'd be running with my wife and she'd be like, you know, I think you should start running by yourself. Like I can walk faster than you're running. 
like, thanks, honey, I'm feeling love. You know, <laughs> but but and then I go out biking with my my friends, and we'd be mountain biking up to the top of this crest. We get to the top of the hill, and I'd be like, <gasps> I'm like, let's wait, wait, I, I, let me catch my breath. And then after about ten minutes, they're like, okay, Moran, come on, we're ready to go. I'm like, I'm not, I'm not ready yet. I'm like, what's wrong with me? And finally, a couple of weeks go by, and I go into the blood center to give blood, like I do about every eight weeks. And they test, test my blood, and they're like, you can't give. I'm like, well, why not? And they're like, your hemoglobin's way too low. I'm like, what's hemoglobin? <laughs> they're like, that's your red blood cells. They carry oxygen to your body. I mean, have you been winded lately? I'm like, oh, <laughs> you bet. I can't even get to the second floor of the library without having to catch my breath. You know? And they're like, yeah, you're probably anemic. You're, you don't have nearly enough hemoglobin in your, in your body. And you know, we went through the whole gamut trying to figure out what that is, and we've resolved all that. But, um, but at that moment in time, I was trying to do all those things that I love to do aerobically, and I was just getting frustrated, and I was just getting exhausted, and I just wanted to give up. And maybe there are some of us here who are trying to live the Christian life without the power of the Holy Spirit inside of us, and we're getting frustrated, and we're getting exhausted, and we're ready to give up. Because it's just too hard. Let me tell you, folks, living the Christian life the way God intended it without the Holy Spirit isn't just hard. It's impossible. It's impossible. The Holy Spirit inside of us is the one, the only one, the dynamic that helps us to produce those things like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. And, And doing all of that without the Holy Spirit, is like trying to run a marathon race without having any hemoglobin. It's just not going to work. You're going you're gonna to get exhausted, and you're going to tire out, and you're going to quit. But God says, are you ready for a game changer? How about if I come and live inside of you, and by the power of my Holy Spirit living inside of you, I will empower you to do those very things that I intended you to do in the first place. But it's not going to be you doing it. It's going to be the Holy Spirit living inside of you that produces those things as you give more and more control of your life over to me. And when, he, and when we do that, that's a game changer. That's a total game changer. I have this friend back from our days in Russia. His name is Petya, Petya Edding. He was a young man when he uh, started attending our church Petra grew up um, in a village in the north of, of Lake Baikal called Nizhny Angarsk. Um, it's an old industrial town, and he never knew his father growing up. His father had walked out on his mother and, and him, and so he never has ever met him. Um, so he grew up without a father. His mom was a working mom, single mom, so she was trying to make ends meet. And so most of his growing up life, Peter Petra just lived on the streets with his friends getting into trouble, all sorts of trouble, not having any kind of parental, uh, you know, authority in his life. And then by the time he made it to university, he moved down to Irkutsk, the big, big city where we lived, and went to university and got involved in all sorts of things that students get involved in when they go to university, <laughs> drugs and alcohol and partying and stuff like that. But Peja got invited to come to a Christian student gathering. And he came and he just kind of observed and, uh, and listened and, and he started attending regularly, you know, kind of off and on, just curious about all these things that these 
Christians were saying and doing and, and, and just kind of interested in, in the whole thing. Um, but it wasn't until a friend of mine, Spencer Nichols, went to visit him when he was at work one day. Pedro worked as a night watchman at an elementary school. And so when you're not a night watchman, you've got a lot of time. And so Stuart, or not Stuart, Spencer went over there um, one night and just sat with him and talked with him about, uh, about his faith, asked him where he was with Jesus, and explained to him all of this about how when you place your faith in Christ, you go from being under condemnation to being in Christ. You go from having none of your sins forgiven to all of your sins forgiven. And Jesus himself comes to live inside of you by the Holy Spirit. And that night in that dark elementary school, Pecha bowed the knee to Jesus. He asked him to forgive him of his sins, and Jesus came into his life. And that, for Pecha, was a game changer. It changed everything. He began to cede more and more of his life over to him. He, he kind of intuitively recognized that out of all the brokenness that he came from, that he just needed to park in the parking lot of repentance for a while. And just learn how to do these new rhythms and routines of learning how to follow Jesus. And he did. And he, Jesus came into his life and changed, and changed him and, and cleaned up his life. He began doing things that he didn't previously do. And he stopped doing the things that he had done do, previously to that. And, um, and I remember uh, working with Peche. He became a leader in a church and teaching Peche how to preach. And uh, just a great, fine young man. I remember looking at him thinking, this man grew up on the streets never knowing his dad, never having a father figure. And now God has become his father, you know, through the Holy Spirit. And now Petra and his wife Angela are on staff with Campus Crusade crew uh, in St. Petersburg. And Petra is a leader amongst men. But none of that would have been possible without the Holy Spirit. The, the, the village where Petra grew up is now dead. It's defunct. No one lives there anymore. And that's where Petra would have been if Jesus had not come into his life. But Jesus did come into his life through the Holy Spirit. And that, for him, was the game changer. I'm wondering if there's anyone here this morning who may be ready for a game changer. Who may be ready to bow the knee to Jesus Christ. And say, Lord, would you come into my life? Would you take me from being under condemnation because of all my sin to being in Christ Jesus? Would you make me a child of God? Would you, Jesus, would you come into life by the Holy Spirit and give me the power to do those things that I was designed to do? I don't want to be just living an empty body in the flesh anymore. I want the power of the Holy Spirit inside of me. In a little while, in a moment, we're going to take communion. And I can't think of a better time for anyone here to make that decision than when we take communion. And just as an act of your will, go forward and receive the elements of the bread and the cup and say to God, God, I receive you into my life. Would you forgive me of all of my sins? Give me Christ's righteousness and fill me with your Holy Spirit. And you ask, if you ask him to do that, you know what? He will. Because God always keeps his promises. And you will have a game-changing experience. Let me pray. Heavenly Father,
If there's anyone here this morning who has not yet bowed the knee to King Jesus, invited you into their life to forgive them of their, all their sins and to give them new life through your Holy Spirit, I pray that you'd give them the courage and the understanding to do that right now. Make things clear. I just pray that you'd break through all the clutter and all the uh, any, anything that I've gotten in the way today and make it clear to them by your Spirit. If there's anybody here who has been trying to live the Christian life by their own strength and gritting their teeth and trying to be a better person and they're frustrated and exhausted and and ready to give up, I pray that they might surrender to you this morning and say, Heavenly Father, I am ready for a game changer. Pray that you would come into my life, empower me to live the life that you intended me to live. Pray all these things in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.